Today is a special edition of the LNT Chat Show. Having celebrated my 50th episode last week, I decided to provide a transition between Series 2 and Series 3 by introducing the idea behind LNT Bite Size, a new podcast that will be available soon. LNT Bite Size will be a series of short recordings, anything from 1 minute to 15 that deal with ideas, activities or resources related directly to teaching, whether in the classroom or online. If you have something you'd like to share, then you can contact me by the email address in the episode description or just send your MP3 recording straight to me. Bite Size is aimed at those new to teaching or those simply looking for new ideas. So here's a sample as I'm going to talk about my explorations in sensory learning. So my experience as a student of uh, teaching environments, whether that was uh, lectures or seminars, that uh, they largely involved either somebody standing at the front of the room and talking while we took notes, um, or they involved us having to go away and read some material, come back into the classroom and have a discussion. And whilst those are both uh, perfectly valid approaches to um, teaching and learning environments, depending on uh, the nature of what you wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to find ways to engage um, students on um, a kind of deeper level, looking in particular at uh, using as many of the senses as possible. Now, with regards to visuals, obviously, we look at uh, PowerPoint slides all the time, uh, but many of those are largely text based. And I personally have a preference uh, for uh, visual images in terms of learning. And I think back to an early experience as uh, a teacher when uh, we were visited by a gentleman called Brian Wheeler from Birmingham University, um, who gave a lecture on the tourism life cycle. And he had, uh, I think it was about 11 slides. And each of those slides contained an image of Elvis. And the reason why he'd done this was because he drew an analogy between uh, Elvis's uh, career and the tourism life cycle. So you start with something that is um, undiscovered and therefore natural and raw. Um, and then gradually, maybe one or two people uh, realize, you know, just how amazing uh, this particular uh, thing is and they gradually tell other people and so gradually more and more people become involved um, and then what tends to happen is that things uh, become commercialized so there are opportunities for other people to make money out of uh, a particular circumstance and the trouble with commercialization um, is that often then introduced uh, seedier elements uh, which are perhaps uh, less positive um, and that can end up uh, effectively creating a, a place or um, uh, a, a construct, if you like, um, that people are less keen on. I'm sure uh, re-evaluating uh, Elvis's career, um, most people would say that, you know, he was still uh, a great singer at the end, but clearly it had taken his toll on uh, him um, in terms of his lifestyle. And we see with many tourist resorts um, that eventually um, those areas have to become managed again in order to actually reduce the negative impacts um, of that kind of uh, exploitation. And that's always stuck with me. So I've spent a large part of my career trying to think of metaphors or analogies 
um, that I can use to explain uh, concepts and ideas to students and also ways um, in which I can make their experience more visual um, so that they have both text and the materials that we might ask them to read in conjunction with a, a particular concept um, and then clearly the words that I'm speaking but also some visual images on which to hang uh, some of those memories. So the second approach then might relate to things to do with um, audio. And again, quite often we're asking people to listen to videos where uh, there'll be somebody talking or there might be some uh, background music, perhaps. Uh, and there are numerous ways in which audio can be used from simple things, which uh, I, certainly I discovered and expanded on during the pandemic uh, when I would play music um, as a, a session was beginning in order to allow uh, students to transition from uh, before the the event to uh, then us actually getting down to some some learning. But I'm also very lucky in some respects, or at least I think I am, because the nature of what I teach, which is marketing advertising, lends itself perhaps to um, reflecting on the impact of uh, uh, audio events. So, for example, we might talk about how you can create a different atmosphere within a, a restaurant or a pub by the nature of the music that you play in the background. Um, and music is very well known in terms of being a, a storytelling uh, attribute for a huge range of different types of, of advertising, much in the same way um, that it might be used in a film to help uh, boost the storytelling there. Uh, we then come on to the olfactory or sense of smell uh, uh, sense, which again, from the readings that I've done, uh, is often associated with some of the strongest memories uh, that we have. So, uh, uh, you know, how could you introduce that into the uh, into the classroom? And you could do it uh, simply by uh, having some kind of uh, fragrance essence or perfume uh, in a room when you were talking about a, a particular thing. Um, perhaps then that would aid people because they might be able to use reference to that smell to help them um, visualize what else was going on. But the nature of what I teach means that I can be slightly more specific about this. So I use uh, something called smellies, which is a series of jars which have cotton wool inside. And those uh, th that cotton wool is impregnated with various different uh, products, the vast majority of which are not based in terms of their function on smell. So things like cleaning products, detergents and so on, where it's the chemical ability to clean um, that is important, whether you're talking about a washing up liquid or a shampoo, but you can add value to something by the nature of uh, the smells which are added. And that's often something that will, people will buy into. I am not immune to this, uh, even though I teach marketing. So out of preference, I would buy coconut shampoo. I like the smell of coconut. The next sense would be taste. And again, I'm lucky in terms of what I teach because um, undertaking taste tests uh, is a relatively straightforward way to talk to students about a range of things. And I, I was very lucky early on in my career that I was teaching marketing amongst others uh, to uh, food and consumer management students. So they were specifically involved in the development of food-based products. Nowadays, I tend to uh, use things like water. So I'll have uh, four different types of, of water, usually still because it's slightly easier to, to use than sparkling. And it'll be everything from uh, an unbranded product, uh, which might be the equivalent of uh, a few pence per litre, um, through to uh, I don't know, something like Voss, which is a very expensive water that comes in a, 
a lovely glass jar that looks a little bit like one of those jars that you would use to keep um, spaghetti in. Um, but when the students get them, they just get them in these little 25 millimeter bottles. They're very basic ones um, that you can buy from many supermarkets. And they simply have a, a letter on top, A, B, C or D. And they then, as groups, have to discuss what the different flavors are, which ones they prefer, which ones they think are most expensive. Um, and invariably, in my experience, it's actually the second cheapest uh, that tends to be preferred by the group as a whole. But it's a great way of getting students uh, involved with the product in such a way that they can then talk about how you can add uh, perceived quality um, and also to talk about the impact of branding, because that's one of the things that allows um, organizations to charge people uh, a lot more money for what uh, for what is in particular in this case a very very basic product we're just talking about water um, then we can move on to touch uh, I love anything tactile I think there's always great advantages um, in students being able to touch and move things around and look at patterns and make decisions and so this could be anything from Lego, which is obviously extremely popular at the moment, um, especially the Lego series play in terms of uh, either being used as an icebreaker or to discuss quite uh, complex and often abstract ideas um, through to simpler things, things that we might previously have done on uh, post-it notes um, that I would now translate into uh, card form. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan, big user and big developer um, of various different card forms because it's very easy nowadays to get blank cards and then to just print things off um, and stick them down on those. And you can create lots and lots of different sets and it allows students to make decisions um, on uh, sort of how to group cards together, how to make links. Um, you might have something that's discussing um, a, a set of ideas where you're looking for students to identify which ones they think are most important or, or most useful. Um, but they are able then to move those things about or indeed collect them if you're into slightly more sophisticated versions um, of card games. And then lastly, I like some kinetic learning. So uh, when I talk to my students about segmentation, the first thing I'll actually do is ask them a series of questions um, that require them to make a, a, a decision between two options. Um, and on the basis of those decisions, they then go and stand in one particular part of the room. Uh, and again, there's, there's plenty of research that suggests that a little bit of physical activity can actually help um, with mental processing uh, anyway. And you can do this in any environment. Whilst my background is in marketing and advertising, I would hope that the majority of these could be applied in some way in pretty much uh, any environment in any discipline. So for example, in the case of the, the kinetic learning, um, if you're going to uh, ask students to um, answer questions that are multiple choice, um, and I test my students on a regular basis using various different uh, formats for quizzes, um, then one of the things you can do, especially if they're working in groups, is simply get uh, four pieces of paper on which is an A, a B, a C or D. In my case, um, they're laminated. Uh, blue tack them to different parts of the room and in order to answer the question one representative from each group actually has to stand up and physically walk over um, to the other part of the room and it does give people uh, that visual idea of where people are going what kinds of things that uh, uh, they might be interested in so uh, that's uh, 
me giving you a version of the kinds of things that you might include um, in LNT bite size. Um, I perhaps haven't gone into quite as much detail as uh, I might have done if I was doing this as a recording purely for that series. Um, but you can see that the intention is that these are uh, practical things. Um, they're also things which I'm hoping uh, will be largely interdisciplinary um, so that uh, it doesn't matter uh, what particular subject that you're teaching. You might still uh, either see how you can use this or it might just fire off uh, an idea of your own. So again, uh, if you're interested in participating in the main podcast and series three of the LNT chat show uh, will be coming uh, as of next week. Um, or if you'd like to contribute to LNT Bite Size, uh, please use the email address in the episode description. And I look forward to uh, hearing from you. And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy listening to um, the remainder of or the forthcoming new series of the LNT Chat Show um, and perhaps even dipping into uh, LNT Bite Size. Thank you very much for listening today.